Hi, this is Jeff Coburn. We welcome you to this Disney at Play podcast. Thanks for being with us. It's been a while, and uh, there have been many developments in the construction of new attractions at Disney parks worldwide. We take a look at the latest and greatest happenings, particularly here at home in Walt Disney World with the Magic Kingdom, Epcot, and even Disney's Animal Kingdom. This includes some personal insights around what I'm referring to as Genie Plus inflation. But then we head out to parks across the globe from Disneyland Resort to Shanghai Disneyland. We even talk about the new purchase of a cruise ship for Disney Cruise Lines. Oh, developments happening on Disney Plus? We got to talk about those too. So join us for this new attractions update at Disney Parks Worldwide. By the way, make sure you also take the time to subscribe to our Disney at Play podcast so you're notified of upcoming podcasts when they occur. My apologies because we do reference some links and images and videos on these up uh, on Disney at Play. Sometimes it takes a day or two for those things to get out to you, but make sure you come back around and check um, those out as well because we want to give you all the value we can as we share these things with you. I think it's appropriate that we start here at home at Walt Disney World Resort and no better place than the Magic Kingdom and no better attraction than the Walt Disney World Railroad. The great news about this is after a very long hiatus, it appears that the railroad is poised to begin possibly even as early as this week. Crews have been running the trains around the park. Shifts have been put into place. It looks like we are fairly set. Now, the trick, of course, of what's kept this closed has been the Tron light cycle run. And so they're going to have to make sure that construction vehicles and other things that needed to be in that area are out of the way so that they can... Um, successfully run the train through and uh, make sure everything is in order. But uh, as, as we can see, um, this, it looks very exciting. I am so excited to take my granddaughter who has never been on the train, on the railroad, around the property to see that. Um, it's going to be an exciting thing. The other thing too is that they've often during COVID closed off the train station, the top tier, which was a great place to get a view of a parade or something going on. I, that has been very frustrating to me because of um, the train opening up, they'll have to open up the station, which means people will be able to come up there and, and enjoy that view and and uh, see, see the station itself. So I'm very excited. If you haven't been in the station in a while, you know, there are actually, uh, there was a penny arcade down Main Street, USA, and you could see these little movies for a penny. You could actually, many of those were moved um, uh, last time I was at the train station. Many of these were moved into the train station. So they just become a fun little thing to take a look at when you're there. So be, be prepared for um, checking out the Walt Disney World Railroad next time you are at uh, the park. Now, Tron Light Cycle Run, well... That too has been frustrating because there have been a lot of reports of people seeing vehicles in test runs. Of course, 
as a new attraction opens, they go through a very long process of running those trains and checking their safety elements, seeing where wear and tear is going on on those on those attractions and so forth. So I totally respect that. But I have to tell you, there is a there is every holiday season. There's been this kind of um, well, it's it's evolved over the years. But for those of us who Remember, 20 years back, you'd have Regis Philbin and others who would host the um, host the Walt Disney World Christmas Parade. It evolved to more than Walt Disney World. It would evolve to Disneyland, and um, but you had this festivity. Now um, it's kind of a two-parter. One comes out during Thanksgiving, and then one comes out Christmas Day morning. But I was I was humored because they were. They were talking about how exciting the Neutron Light Cycle Run was, and let's take a look. And well, it wasn't any. It wasn't the host of the show actually riding the train. The footage showed all of these guests who clearly were probably from Shanghai Disney because of their ethnicity, and so it was just so disappointing because they haven't even been able to get footage of people on the train yet. And then they come back to the host and they're going, wow, I can hardly wait to come back and ride that ride. So it was very disappointing that they're not even at a place where they can they can put people on it. Uh, it's, just, it's just more of a hurry and wait. And of course, it's all part of their... Um, what Disney has done in the past and it's gone back to, I believe, or I believe originally if there had not been a pandemic, this attraction would have been the gem of the, um, of the Walt Disney world 50th anniversary celebration. I also believe, which we're going to talk about shortly that the, um, that all the developments at Epcot would have come in time or most all of them, particularly the ones under construction right now, would have come in time for Epcot's 40th anniversary. And that would have been a beautiful, perfect timing for all of these things. Uh, as it stands, none of these things have have happened um, on a timely basis, and we can't really blame them for it, but it has just been really disappointing not having um, the benefit of having these attractions in play. So, um, but you could tell they are kind of in this pattern of there's going to be a spring press event. At the spring press event, they're going to launch the new, and I say spring, it could be as early as late February, but, but, um, but they are going to launch the Tron Light Cycle run at that time, and then... Um, and then in the fall, they will launch, um, the Epcot attractions, which is probably, well, before I get there, let me talk about Tiana's Bayou Adventure, um, opening in 2024. Now, what they have announced is that Splash Mountain is closing. The one at, um, uh, Walt Disney World will be closing on January 23rd. Uh, so that they can begin the next phase of this attraction's development. They have not yet shared um, the closing date for Splash Mountain at Disneyland Resort, um, uh, but 
uh, they have shared a new image of what seems to be kind of the opening scene in Splash Mountain when you first come into the show building and you see the little band playing. Well, you see a little band playing in this one, but you also see Louie and you also see Tiana in kind of an adventure style outfit. The band is interesting because you have, um, well, what is depicted here are six different critters and they're all playing. Now, critters are appropriate to Splash Mountain, but they're not the same critters that you see in uh, in in uh, in the attraction currently at Splash Mountain. What you see is kind of a weasel and a rabbit and a possum and maybe a turtle and a raccoon and a beaver. Um, the and they're all playing instruments and all that's fun. In fact, they talk about the fact that. Um, well, let me just read the text. As you can see here, fireflies will light up the night and invite you deeper into the bayou, almost like they're waving you forward, which suggests this is an opening scene. What you can't tell from this rendering, so you'll just have to trust me on this one, as written by um, Carmen Smith from Imagineering, um, is that the beautiful Zydeco music will fill the air. Zydeco is a special blend of rhythm and blues that was born in Louisiana. And when you hear it, you'll feel like um, you've truly stepped into Tiana's world. Now, if you want to hear what Zydeco sounds like, just go to the original Princess and the Frog because when they sing Going Down the Bayou, Going Down the Bayou, they're playing it in a Zydeco musical format goes on to say here you'll find uh, Lewis uh, who explains where this amazing music is coming from. Tiana made some new friends out here, a band full of adorable critters including an otter, a rabbit, a raccoon, a beaver, a turtle, and others. The band members sing and play instruments made of natural materials they found in the bayou. It feels like they have a bigger role to play in the story but we'll have to just wait and see on that one. Like so many musical genres, Zydeco brings together the sounds and styles of many cultures. We wanted that spirit reflected in the scene and throughout the attraction so that all our guests feel welcome to join in the celebration. It's emblematic of what, we've always, what we're always striving for with our attractions, bringing people of different backgrounds together through timeless Disney stories. This new musical adventure provides us with a song sheet to write that concept into reality. Love all that. No problem. Let me just say something about the display, though, that's that's most concerning. And people are talking, I've all people have always said, you know, eh, this is kind of funny how you all of a sudden have the South as you kind of move down the East Coast, you enter the great Southwest, and all of a sudden you have this South thing. I can deal with that. Frankly, we've been dealing with it ever since Splash Mountain opened. I don't have a problem with that. What I have a problem with is in the image of this band, there's some kind of natural looking instruments that they've kind of concocted. Maybe um, that uh, one of them is kind of, um, um, has been a musical instrument made out of a gourd. But the rabbit is scratching his sound off of a license plate. And where I struggle with this, and maybe it's also um, uh, emblematic of uh, Tiana's costume as well, 
I feel like we have stepped into the 20th century with this attraction. That it's not, because, because really Frontierland is more about the 1800s, not the 1900s. And I feel like this is step four. I feel like, okay, in the next scene, are we going to see an automobile? Because you've already shown me the license plate. I'm just not sure that I like that period being reflected. Again, it's Frontierland. So I am looking, and, and Tiana's is a more contemporary story. That's, that's the problem I have. I don't have a problem with it being from the South, or being Tiana, or being Princess and the Frog, as opposed to a Reflection of Song of the South. I have a problem with the, the time period. That, um, that I have a, I really struggle with as I, as I see, um, more and more details relative to this attraction. And I just, I hope they're being attentive to the time period of that era. Cause I don't think of the frontier as being the 20th century. Any rate, let me move on to Epcot. Um, because there's some things happening there. We've got some images from BioReconstruct uh, that shows that intersection, well, what is going, what was the intersection, the intersection of Future World, which is now World Celebration under construction. You see that a roof is being added to the Communicore. From my observations when I was in the park yesterday, I don't sense that this is a multi-storied building interior-wise. I sense it is a it is a one story with a very high roof. Um, we haven't had a lot of details about what is exactly in the Communicore building. I assume that it is going to have a kitchen facility to be able to handle group business as well as um, being an entertainment facility. Beyond that, I really don't know. We haven't been given a lot of details around what is going to be uh, in that. Um, we have also, however, the, the scaffolding has come down and we have seen a lot more um, details around uh, what is Journey of Water inspired by Moana. And that is, um, that is impressive looking, the, the structure. Uh, what I noticed when I was there the other day is how the attraction is really almost going to feed you more in the direction of the living seas than it will be in terms of the land. It kind of plays in the middle, but it almost seems to play in the direction of the living seas. And I'm and so I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of trying to see how this is all going to connect the land, the seas, and journey of water into one cohesive world um, discovery uh, place. Uh, so more to come, obviously, on that. But if you want to see images, come check out Disney at Play.com. People are a little surprised that there could be a Moana attraction at Epcot. And oh, by the way, could there be a Moana att attraction at Disney's Animal Kingdom? And yeah, there could be because there is a frozen attraction at the studios and there's a frozen attraction at um, Epcot. And then there is also a Beauty and the Beast 
castle and dining experience and village at Magic Kingdom, but there's also Beauty and the Beast live on stage over at Disney's Hollywood Studios. So these things happen in the same way you find Harry Potter in two, land, in two different attractions at Universal. Disney started that um, with, um, well, even before the Lion King, but the Lion King was was the seminal event because at one point there was actually four different attractions based on the Lion King in all four Disney parks. I'm going down a little bit of a rabbit hole there. Um, Disney newscasts um, projects an opening for, well, let me just say, let me just say that my inside sources, and I know inside sources is kind of vague, but I don't want to, I don't want to get anyone in trouble, but there were major developments in the shaping of what could be Moana and Zootopia. Um, and they look, it looks, and, and you could tell when they did this at D23 that the artwork for the Moana attraction with the Zootopia in the far background, you, get, you got a real sense that the Moana piece, even more than the Zootopia piece, was far ahead of thought and detail than anything you would have seen um, in the Magic Kingdom display when they talked about Coco and they talked about Encanto and they talked about a villain's lair, which was very vague. Um, uh, now, I, I've come to terms, you know, one of the best things that happened to Disneyland, and I did not think this was a great thing that happened, but when they built the Star Wars Galaxy's Edge at Disneyland, they ended up taking a piece of the rivers of America and reshaping it and reshaping the railroad that went with it. Heaven forbid that we have to have the railroad go down again. But but they they did this at Disneyland and then they rethemed a lot of the backside of the rivers of America. And it looks really impressive and far more interesting to go down than it was previously, both on the Mark Twain, and on the Disneyland Railroad. I could see them maybe doing a little bit of something like that at Walt Disney World. The Rivers of America is pretty big, and when you get to the back part, it's pretty kind of empty. Cutting that a little bit, adding a villain's lair would be great. Again, I'm struggling with geography and time frames when it comes to Encanto and with... Um, with Coco, but I'm not, but, but I could be in a wait and see on that. But meanwhile, that Moana, that's a lot further ahead. Disney newscast does a great job of showing how the fume, there is a, when you see the artwork, there is clearly a, uh, an, an attraction, spinner style attraction that is put into it. Um, he shows how the spinner attraction in its current location with a fume attraction could be put there based on what I see in the artwork I could see the spinner attraction brought much further up and thus allowing uh, I say further up meaning further up toward um, where, where the lake is where you have um, the stadium for what was rivers of light I think that and I think that would be better because I have said that if they could do something in that lagoon tied to Moana, 
I think that would be very impressive as well as having a fume ride. Now he projects, and I thought it was very appropriate, that they could use some of the technologies that they have in the Pirates of the Caribbean attraction in Shanghai. If you're not familiar, Pirates of the Caribbean is very comparable in many ways. The elements are moved around, some elements are missing, and some elements are added in all of the Pirates of the Caribbean attraction. But when you go to Shanghai Disney, you've got a totally different Pirates of the Caribbean attraction. And it's different in three different ways. One being, it is a total story focused on Jack Sparrow. That's neither here nor there for this. Second, the boat that they use is has works on magnets that allow the boat to kind of turn and do a 360 and kind of move and, and kind of point you in the direction they want you to see. That's very cool. And third, they use an enormous amount of projection work to give you a sense that you have gone underneath the water and then up above it to a major battle. Now, I didn't think that the projection work I thought that was the weakest part of the Pirates of the Caribbean attraction in Shanghai, but it was impressive looking. And I think if you tied it to Moana, you could do some amazing things here. Now, the boats in the in the graphic are very different. They they look like log, um, um, it, they look kind of like they're in a log flume kind of thing, um, but but that could change. And we could see something still very different, or they could use the lug flume and still use the kind of projection technology and even the magnetics under um, the magnets under the water to kind of create attraction. Anyway, it could be a huge dark attraction. Disney Newscast projected an opening as early as 2025. I actually agree with him on that, but not in the same way. I could see that the spinner attraction and that the basic layout of the land could be ready by 2025, but I also could see Disney putting the show element out to 2026, or the, the flume ride, which is a bigger major piece of construction, out toward 2026. Um, also, he projected the idea of combining it with the Finding Nemo Theater to create more of an Oceana type theme for that area. I really like that idea. And again, I would add to that and say, combine the stadium and create an Oceana type theme with it or some kind of Moana outdoor show at night. That could be, that could be amazing at night and really bring in crowds during the nighttime. By the way, the dinosaur attraction uh, isn't getting much in terms of refurbishment support the dinosaurs keep failing and and are down they they look a lot like splash mountain figures that haven't been getting refurbishment support um so i assume that the zootopia piece is also i think the same thing could happen with zootopia disney newscast thinks that the um the uh boneyard could be part of Moana. I think it could be part of Zootopia along with the restaurant and that space pushing all the way to Dinosaur. And I could see some early things done with Zootopia in those sections with the actual Zootopia attraction coming afterwards. And that could even be, it could be 
It could be your Zootopia attraction goes in into 2025 because they have the show building there. And then the flume goes into 2026 or something like that. But I think those are the distant attractions getting built. And I think that, um, again, the problem with these is that they are they're tied to Bob Chapek. And so you kind of kind of wonder if they're going to get um, the same um, permission, you know, they're going to get the same green light as before. But I, I, I think there's solid possibilities and 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 it's all good moving forward. Let's move to the, oh, let me talk about Genie Plus Inflation. So the other day I was over at Disney's Hollywood Studios with one of my clients and I chose, it was a risk, but I looked outside the queue for Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. And I noticed when I was in that said queue that, or looked at that queue, that there was nothing on the exterior. It was just a few people lined up to go in the show building. And because it was the beginning of the day, there were very few people who had, um, who were coming in off of the Genie Plus. And yet the wait time was 50 minutes. And I knew in my mind, even with a lot of people in the Genie Plus side, it doesn't take 50 minutes to go from the front of the building to the to the actual attraction itself. As it turned out, it took about 20 minutes for us to get on that attraction that day. After we got off, we kind of wondered what we should do next. And my client couldn't do some thrill rides, but we decided we would go to check out Rise of the Resistance. The problem is it was showing a 75, 80 minute, uh, 75 minute wait at that time. So I said, let's go check that out. So we walked around Grand Avenue, came through the tunnel, right over to Rise of the Resistance, and there is practically no queue outside, nor are there a lot of people in going through the Genie Plus. Well, in this case, an extended lightning lane purchase going through. And by the way, this is, this is, um, this was the Friday after Thanksgiving week. And, um, and so I said, let's just go ahead and get in line. We couldn't, wait 75 minutes because we had a lunch reservation later but i had a feeling it wasn't going to last 75 minutes and it didn't it lasted 25 minutes now these are the two major attractions at disney's hollywood studios this is the week after thanksgiving which is one of the lower attended weeks and my my party who spent days in all four parks loved the fact that there wasn't a lot of attendance that week and yet the line the queues the stated queue weights were huge. Why? In my view, that was happening because they wanted people to look on their app at the wait times and say, oh my gosh, look, long wait times. Let's get Genie Plus. Let's buy an extended lightning lane. I think they, they have plussed up the length of time um, for these attractions. And I asked later on, they really did not have really long waits at anything. And yet the wait times were up in these parks. I just find that to be, um, I find that to be very disappointing. And in fact, it lacks integrity that you have to make money by, by faking the time. And, uh, I think that Disney needs to stop that. 
other and and that you need to know that just because it says that on the app or even on the board outside the door unfortunately if you're not around a lot you may not know how long that wait is i'd push i'd push a cast member and say it says 50 minutes are you sure it's 50 minutes if you don't know if you can't tell by looking yourself and uh and just just double check because now i i question the integrity of the stated attraction weights used to be we inflated them just by five percent so that if people got a little under that they felt like they got a good bargain good value but this is this is an inflation of a total different size and it's very disappointing over at disneyland resort uh, new characters in star wars galaxy edge has been showing up like the mandalorian and and um baby yoda baby group um also they announced that the disneyland parade uh, Magic Happens is officially returning to Disneyland on February 24th. Um, it had closed just literally, I think, like two weeks after or two weeks before the park closed due to COVID. Um, and so not sure why it's taken them so long to bring the parade back, except that it's really pretty well tied. It's pretty well tied to the 100 years of wonder celebration in 2023 that is really being focused on at um at uh disneyland resort the new mickey and minnie's runaway railway which has a new logo that will open on january 27th and that along with the parade kind of creates a press event which says to me that press event is going to be a month and a half to two months before um before whatever you're going to see on the Tron one. They're not going to do them back to back. So um, that is also interesting because Mickey's Toontown is actually not going to completely reopen until March 8th. I think there are a couple of pieces that will be open, but the whole of it will not be open on this 100 um, Disney kickoff. I wish there was more of the 100 in all of the parks. I think this is disappointing that it's not happening everywhere. So I'm a little disappointed by that. Um, Shanghai Disney. I am impressed that they have created kind of a new, um, well, it's really for the winter um, festival, which is called their Winter Frostival. Um, and that began this last week. It's got some great little floats and a lot of Disney characters. Um, that said and done, um, what is sad is that this park just keeps closing for COVID. Uh, there is a whole political issue going on with how much Shanghai and other um, areas of the country have closed down and reopened and closed down again and so um hopefully people will have a chance to see this but again the politics of covid have been really really difficult over there disneyland paris will post a couple of images from it um a new image of their disney village that is being completely rehabbed needingly being completely rehabbed uh, what's interesting is that the second image kind of verifies the first image, which it's more of a twilight picture rather than a daytime picture. 
but it basically shows Disneyland Village taking on more of a mid-century American look. Um, a lot of glass, a lot of wood, a lot of angle, angular structures. Um, it is very much a mid-century look. And But the village needs villages, just a mess with lots of different... Um, lots of different architectural styles that just don't gel it's just it's just a it well it reminds me of city the original city walk in universal uh out in hollywood just kind of a mishmash of different things uh we would be remiss if we didn't take the time to talk about this disney cruise ship um so uh, Disney announced in mid-November, before Bob Chapek uh, was terminated, that it purchased a ship previously known as the Global Dream in um, Germany. Now, according to uh, an article, Capital D, Disney purchased the Global, which is a German um, publication, Disney has purchased the Global Dream at a hugely discounted price of just 40 million euros, which is about $41 million. The original price was closer to um, 1.8 billion euros. Um, and so far, the ship is 75% complete. 75% um, complete probably tells me that obviously there are pictures that they've been showing of the ship itself in dry dock. Um, the exterior is largely done, so there's not a lot they can do, though Disney wants to put its its smokestacks up there that kind of, they're not really smokestacks, but they look like it because they kind of sense the, the grandeur of travel um, a century ago. Um, what else is going to happen? The interior, I assume most of the rooms are outfitted uh, for this. Um, what is, um, um, what's interesting is Disney says it's working with the German shipbuilder, Meyer Werf, to finish the yet to be renamed Global Dream. It's expected to sail sometime in 2025 and have a capacity around 6,000 passengers or 2,300 crew members. Um, apparently, um, that's down from the 9,000 that the Global Dream 2, um, well, it has a sister ship, and that is around 9,000. Um, well, hold on. Let me just say... Um, Disney Cruise Line has announced that it has bought what is expected to be the world's largest cruise ship when it's finished. Global Dream, the sister ship to the now scrapped Global Dream 2, has been sitting partially finished since German shipbuilder um, worked and went bankrupt earlier this year because of COVID-19 pandemic. Disney says it'll work with Meyer Werf, another sh German shipbuilder, who the mouse has worked with before to finish the yet-to-be-renamed Global Dream. It's expected to set sail sometime in 2025 with the capacity of around 6,000 passengers and 2,300 crew members. That's down from the 9,000 passengers Global Dream 2 was expected to be able to carry. Sadly, that will take Global Dream out of contention for the world's largest 
cruise ship itself. I think that's okay because frankly, that's um, uh, that's a lot of ship to fill. Um, people are conjecturing where that ship's going to sail, whether it sails in Asia. I love that idea, especially if it were taking you, say, between Hong Kong and Shanghai or Shanghai and Tokyo. Whether it does that or not hmm, remains to be seen and whether they can, there is enough of a Disney audience in Asia to really keep filling that ship of that size, that remains to be seen. But it's out there and we'll have to wait and see what ultimately happens. All right, that pretty much covers what's happening with new park attractions across the globe. But before we end today, I wanted to mention two things to you um, that particularly are related to uh, Disney+. Plus. Uh, for those of you who have enjoyed the magic of Disney's Animal Kingdom and the behind-the-scenes look at not just the animals there, but across the Walt Disney World property, they're returning January 1st to Disney+, Plus, and you may want to go check that out. It's a, it's a lot of fun. And then the second thing I wanted to mention, if you haven't seen uh, Limitless with Chris Hemsworth, it's a National Geographic um, series where he tackles what uh, the human body is capable of, its limits and and its challenges and and how um, how far you can stretch um, the body. There is an episode three that I want to point you to and probably to about the 20 minute mark. Now, the episode is really about fasting and he goes through a four day fast. That's not why I'm pointing this to you. And I should mention that he's a little bit hangry when we get to the 20 minute mark because he's already been fasting for some period of time. But to help him um, lose, uh, forget about how he's hungry and to focus his energy in a different direction, he goes and plays underwater hockey. Now, if you don't know, I am a huge fan of underwater hockey and you're probably listening to this and going, what is this? If you go to, if you actually go to um, my website, um, J, or my YouTube channel, which is um, J. Jeff Kober, and make sure you subscribe there. If you uh, search underwater hockey, you could see actually our own team, including a championship reel um, from there. It is the worst spectator sport in the world. So either you're going to have to go to my YouTube channel or you're going to have to go see uh, episode uh, three of Limitless, where Chris Hemsworth gets down there and plays underwater hockey. It is um, it is a total trip, and uh, and it celebrates what is uh, my favorite pastime next to all things Disney. So when you have a chance, be sure to check it out. Well, that does it for this Disney at Play podcast. We're so glad you could join us. Make sure that, again, whether it's our YouTube channel, J. Jeff Kober, or our uh, website, DisneyAtPlay.com, DisneyAtWork.com, make sure you subscribe. If you could, go to uh, iTunes or to your favorite podcast subscriber. Put in a good rating, positive review, if at all possible. And be sure to check out our Wayfinder Society, which is our Patreon group, which helps support this website and all of the crazy things 
that we do. And there are some really great rewards for joining that group. So make sure you check it out. In the meantime, we hope you are having a joyous holiday. And we uh, remind you that no matter where you are, always follow the compass of your heart. Have a great day. We'll see you real soon. Bye-bye.